Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the place to discover more about emerging tech in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. My name is Tessa Scott. I'm a business development manager here at Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, UK's leading research and innovation centre for offshore renewables. My role within the Catapult is to focus on accelerating and growing the floating offshore wind industry in the UK, as well as being part of the brand new and soon to open National Floating Offshore Wind Innovation Centre, which we're calling FLOIC. I've been working alongside colleagues from the Net Zero Technology Centre on joint projects looking at the current Intog leasing round, which is playing a key role in the progression of floating wind and decarbonisation. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Graham Rogerson, Head of Net Zero Technology at the Net Zero Technology Centre. So welcome, Graham, and thank you for joining me today. Do you want to start off by giving the listeners a bit of your backstory about yourself and your role at NZTC, Graham? Yeah, I'm Graham Rogerson, so I'm the Head of Net Zero Technology team at the uh, NZTC. My background, got maybe 30 years experience in offshore engineering and construction. A lot of work in engineering consultancies, spent a lot of time offshore in the back deck of vessels. Before joining NZTC, I was one of the directors of Exodus Group, where I first stepped into the renewable space. Um, at NZTC, yeah, I act maybe two roles, so I'm very much the sort of leading focal point for all our efforts in floating offshore wind. And I also look after a team that provides a technical input to all our work on new energies and hydrogen, CCS and wind. Fabulous. I think we've got quite a similar background in both ex-oil and gas work during the renewables revolution. So we're here today to talk about INTOG. So first of all, what is INTOG? So INTOG stands for the Innovation and Targeted Oil and Gas Leasing Round. It's a crown estate leasing round for offshore wind projects that will either directly reduce emissions from oil and gas production, but also boost further offshore wind innovation in Scottish waters. The leasing round was split into two. So developers were able to apply for either the IN in INTOG, which includes small-scale innovation projects of less than 100 megawatts, or the TOG side, which are projects connected directly to oil and gas infrastructure to provide them with electricity and reduce the carbon emissions associated with production. So on that basis, Graham, now we've provided the overview, what sets INTOG apart from the other leasing opportunities and what kind of opportunities does it open up for the sector? I mean, it's one leasing round, INTOG. For sure, but it's um it's very much uh, got two streams. It's got the in and the tog, and so when we're chatting today, Tess, it's probably easier just to make sure which one we're talking about. So if we start on the in, you know, on the inside, you know, what Crown Estates provided here is a, a sort of lower cost seabed options for innovation scale projects, like you say, about a hundred megawatts. So we're talking about maybe five to ten wind turbine generators per site, if you like. That's the kind of size that we're seeing in this round. They'll be near a shore. We'll get a direct connection into shore. Might even get a quicker grid connection and a distribution system on shore. So on the inside, in simple terms, I think it's just opened up the opportunity to develop the 500 megawatts of floating offshore wind over numerous sites where we can um, really look at the right scale to deploy some innovative solutions into the water. I think the key for these end projects is it's an opportunity to get things in the water before Scotland. Perhaps that's the key for these in projects. There's no point in these projects coming in between or at the same time as Scotland. We the uh, they really need to come ahead of, ahead of the Scotland ones to act as a stepping stone and, and ramp up. So I think timing is key for it. You know, the leasing documents for Intog, when did they come out? In about August 22, they signed up and 
summer 23. We're working with a lot of the projects. You know, they're building up their teams as projects directors in place. They start a lot of their, their survey works and their EIA works. Critical couple of years ahead to really fast track these projects as much as possible. So I think on the inside, that's the opportunity. Tess, I think that's the, the main bit. On the TOG side, perhaps slightly different. I think the TOG is more about the energy transition opportunity. We continue to develop, operate oil and gas in the North Sea. It's a large industrial sector. It's a big scope one emitter. It's not connected into the grid. You know, the operations need to be decarbonized. We have the North Sea transition deal in place. That industry signed up with government to uh, decarb its operations. You know, be fair to the oil and gas industry, they're doing a lot of work in that space on uh, venting and flaring. It's all reported through OEUK. They've dropped emissions in that space 50%, 25% overall in the last few years. But uh, moving forward, the key to further decarbonization is to do something around the power. So without TOG, Without some form of electrification, that industry is not going to meet its deal. So um, two things on the talk side, very much energy transition and the decarb of oil and gas operations. And also these projects are at slightly larger scale. So again, if they're brought in ahead of Scotland, it would be a great ramp up and stepping stone towards Scotland for these uh, talk projects. Yeah, absolutely. I guess worth pointing out for Maybe listeners who don't know that latest that I read, the, the oil and gas industry actually contributes 3% of the country's emissions. So it's it's a huge deal if we can reduce that down as, as low as possible for, you know, bigger picture, saving the world and the environment and all that, but also for these companies to meet an RC transition deal. Just on the subject of the TOG side of things, obviously as November last year, seven of the TOG projects had secured their exclusivity agreements and assuming everything will be satisfied and conditions will be met, they'll be offered a, a seabed lease of 50 odd years and hopefully, you know, developers will be able to start construction with the likes of Cerulean Winds and their two massive projects, uh, Flotation Energy and Fargon and Total Energies, which is obviously a smaller islanded project. With regards to kind of the larger projects, the flotation energy and the cerulean winds, you know, what kind of impact do you think these larger projects will have in terms of helping to decarbonize the energy sector and supporting that side of the, the transition for them all? You know, when you're looking at power to these oil and gas assets, so they're looking at two things. They're looking at electrification. They're also looking at alternative fuels to decarb their operations. You could certainly run power from shore schemes to help electrify these assets, but without installing more wind, just taking power from the grid, it would be, a, I think, a missed opportunity. What we've got here is an opportunity to actually deploy and develop like the first sort of integrated offshore energy systems globally. The infrastructure in place and the mechanism to deploy some more floating offshore wind at scale further from shore that could be integrated into oil and gas operations just now, but perhaps you should have a a sort of bigger eye on the prize, which would be the first integrated offshore energy system where down the line, once we're not producing oil and gas anymore, we might be producing hydrogen or storing CCS out there. It would be a great stepping stone towards that kind of future. It would as well. I think, I think personally as well, you know, this leasing round is going to be good for the skills transition, building the, the wind technology and integrating it with oil and gas gives people who work in oil and gas a chance to see the industry and perhaps think about transitioning their skills over and how their skills do transition. So I think it's a, a great opportunity for everyone to move towards a more renewable future. I think you spot on there. You know, I think some of the publications we saw last year out of uh, Renewable UK, out of OEC, one of the key risks, one of the key areas that's always identified is in the supply chain. Yeah. and the transition of the supply chain from oil and gas. So 
I think these talk projects would also go a long way to, to help realising that, not just personnel, but also technology too. Oh yeah, there's a lot of technology that could be transitioned. So moving on to kind of the, the innovation, the in section of Intel, some big names in the, the innovation listings, you know, obviously we've seen Blue Float Energy, Renantis, Orsted, Simply Blue Group, BP. Was that kind of a surprise to you to see bigger names in the industry going for these small scale projects? I think in short, no. <laughs> I think, yeah, we need to de-risk flow. It's high on the agenda now to de-risk the technology de-risk the construction, assembly, operate, de-risk the projects. We can't go from where we are just now to the scale that we've got ambitions for in, in Scotland. And these projects will go a long way in supporting that de-risking. And like I say, that's not just from a technology perspective, but from a project perspective as well. So I think seeing these size of companies stepping into it, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think I would have just could almost argue that the inside of Intog could have been doing with being slightly larger, you know. I think there was maybe nine or 10 applications at the end of the day and in, in the five sites and I appreciate where Crown Estate Scotland were, but I would have almost supported going bigger and having more in projects, to be honest with you, to allow more of potential Scotland developers to, to have a go on the inside. Yeah, I think from our conversations we've had in our sort of day-to-day -day life, when these big companies are using or seeing these in projects as kind of, I don't want to use the phrase guinea pigs, but a way to trial and de-risk technologies before they go up to their full commercial plans. So they are very, very critical for the companies and they see them as very important stepping stones and they need to get them in the water and learn from the innovations that they're deploying before they go full commercial so the timelines are crucial to them which is something we get told again again yeah. you know, it's your biggest challenge yeah and the timeline you know and it's probably one of the most important things for entities where we work but also for crown estate scotland for the nsta to step in OUK. Of Gem Desnes is is about yeah ensuring that timeline does come before Scotland. I think from from that side of things, you know, we're NZTC and Ori Catapult are both aligned on the fact that these things are crucially important to the industry, and we need to get them in place, operating, learn from the innovations, de-risk them, and pass those learnings on for the the greater good of the industry, as it were. Now, obviously, we've got our two programs that we run together in Beautiful Harmony, our Windhog program and our Innovation Network. Um, and already Catapult, we've got our new facility, uh, Floic, which is about to open. And uh, the capabilities in there will include validating types of technological innovations that will be needed for Intog, anchoring, mooring, got some digital work in there, dynamic cables. And of course, yourselves at NZTC, you've got technology development programs and projects to help close that gap. So how is we, as both you know innovation centres and as industry support, Companies, how can we support these Intel projects and, and what are we doing and what could we improve on from your point of view? So I think, first of all, what we're talking about here in these Intel, they're not like small scale developments and the innovation required isn't in the lab, it's in the marine environment. Yeah. It's big, it's huge. Yeah. And it's critical to our net zero goals. We talk a lot about net zero. We'll come out at COP and we're talking about tripling the renewable capacity by 2030 globally, which is great. And Wind and solar are going to drive that, and certainly wind may drive it specifically. So it just brings it home how important I think these initial end projects are. And I think where we see them just now, like a lot of other larger projects, they're still in that sort of uh, consenting grid delivery track challenges, which I think is uh, where they are just now. And we need to help them move forward to get them out there. And I think uh, what we could do is I think a lot of the support into floating offshore wind to date has been at, let's say, at company level. And I would suggest and push that 
you know, let's bring that down into uh, project level to ensure that we maximize the impact of these in projects and the talk projects and make sure these in projects are addressing some of the challenges and thinking from the larger projects. So I think that would be, that would be one thing that I would say about NZTC and OREC to do. The other thing I think is just on the test and demonstration. So I was reading the white paper on the requirement for a floating test site in UK waters and it came out of EMEC. It's a good read, you know, it's well written, highlights the importance of de-risking flow and there's a big push and angle on the insurance side and I and I agree with what's written in it, uh, to be honest with you. And I think that in UK waters in Scotland, we've got two operational floating offshore wind developments in uh, Highwind and Kincardine. We've got these in projects coming, you know, so there's an argument to say we should be utilizing these existing and, and soon to be installed sites better, you know. So I would argue, what about open up some test bays or let's get in a bigger push so we've got multiple sites where we could test and deploy more innovative technology that is uh, best suited to UK supply chain. Hey, whatever way it goes, I think we definitely need something around test and demo offshore sites in UK water. So... Yeah. I think we definitely need either a, one that's specifically installed, like EMIC are suggesting, or we take this step into the existing sites and assume to be installed in projects. I totally agree. I mean, obviously, we already can't, but we have some offshore test facilities like our 5G test bed down in Grimsby. But yeah, I think utilizing these existing projects, perhaps, or having a dedicated, like you say, marine environment test facility would make massive leaps and bounds because we can do many different desktop studies and lab work, but we need to get out there and, and test and use these uh, technologies in, in the real world, shall we say, to see the impact. Because obviously a lab environment's not the real world environment and you never know what things are going to throw up. So yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And hopefully that's something that both our organisations can help support with and drive forward because I'd love to see that. I think it'd be brilliant. Just sort of looking towards the future of Intel. What do you think with all these different innovations, what do you think the, the innovation could have the biggest impact? You know, obviously the innovations for the in-lounge are split into different areas like supply chain and new markets and cost reduction. Where do you see something having the biggest impact and where do you think that we'll start to see that impact? So these, these projects all have quite a way to go before they get to FID for sure. But the biggest impact they could have is on our own supply chain and maximizing that local content supply chain imports a lot of work going on in the background to enable that i think if we do it right we could achieve that but um yeah craigie quite a bit of work to go through before we could see the big impact of it i'm particularly interested in the supply chain innovations because obviously you know we do a lot of work in supply chain at already catapult and there's there seems to be a bit of a chicken and egg problem developing and they can't commit to supply chain until supply chain commits to them kind of thing and it's it's finding someone to jump first so hopefully these in projects can maybe give a bit of confidence on both sides and help yep. boost the supply chain and encourage companies to do that investment in more infrastructure, more manufacturing, so that the developers can have the confidence that they can utilize them appropriately. So a lot of work to do, as you say, but hopefully we can assist with pulling it off. Thinking about new technologies, and obviously you mentioned that there's a lot of work looking at alternative fuels. And obviously we've had some discussions about hydrogen with some of the Intog projects and amongst ourselves. Yep. How do you see these in-talk projects of helping to build on the use of hydrogen as an alternative fuel? Because there's a lot of a lot of buzz about it, but we need to do it properly. So how do you think these in-talk projects can sort of assist the hydrogen industry as a whole? Yeah, we do see a lot of buzz about hydrogen, don't we? Yeah. yeah we see a lot of talk about hydrogen, green hydrogen, innovation in hydrogen, impact of hydrogen, and where it's going to be used. 
yeah, how it's going to be used. And we do a lot of work on hydrogen at NZTC, a lot of good stuff. And I wish the dialogue around it wasn't so polarized. I wish it was more balanced because it's important that we do work our way through to the best solution on hydrogen because it will have a, like a big impact, you know, be a really important role in achieving our net zero goals. But just as a comment test, you know, like I, I kind of just feel in general, perhaps the level of noise chat around hydrogen, it kind of outweighs, overshadows other key drivers. And the key drivers for me being sort of like energy efficiency and, and electrification. So it does, it will play a big role, but I sometimes think the chatter is just a bit too much. At NZTC, one of our flagship projects is uh, an hydrogen backbone link. It's an ongoing program at work supported by Scottish government through the Energy Transition Fund. And it's a fantastic program. It's got huge amount of support to look at deploying development a 10 gigawatt trunk line connecting Scottish waters into the main European backbone and the European hydrogen demand in the central industrial area. So in a nutshell, that trunk line would provide a route to market for hydrogen at, at scale, green hydrogen at scale. So I think it's great that the end projects are um, looking at hydrogen as our route to market. BP are, are out in the public, you know, with our potential tie-in to the Aberdeen Hydrogen Hub, which is a JV between Aberdeen City and BP. So it's a, a great potential link. And these end projects, you know, on the hydrogen front, they could be the first stepping stone for offshore wind projects connecting direct into hydrogen facilities onshore. So yeah, it'd be a first of its kind. And then a great lead projects to see how it can all come together. But like I say, when we talk about hydrogen, the primary cost and the, the whole hydrogen cost per kilogram would be in the cost of electricity. So it just comes back to how important floating offshore wind is. I find the whole hydrogen side fascinating because obviously producing hydrogen could possibly reduce pressures on getting grid connections. Yep. Up here in Aberdeen, we're lucky enough to have some hydrogen buses kicking around. So I would love to see some kind of hydrogen car network. Instead of filling up with petrol, you fill it with hydrogen. It would be great to see that grow as an alternative fuel source. I think that'd be fascinating. Ori Catapult, we're lucky enough to have the Levermouth turbine and we'll be utilising that to produce some hydrogen as a trial project to heat some homes. So I follow that keenly and see how that's getting on. So I think that would be an interesting side of it as well. If we can minimise natural gas and utilise hydrogen as an alternative. So yeah, there's loads of different avenues in that. And it, like you said, it just all comes back to how we need to make sure offshore wind in general and specifically flowing offshore wind that we manage to keep the cost down because at the end of the day that will help keep the cost of electricity and therefore hydrogen down so looking to the future do you think this is just the start of the integration between offshore wind and oil and gas if we get tog projects in and it's a success and people like total and harbor and, and bp start electrolyzing their platforms do you think we'll see more leasing rounds of this kind <laughs> i would doubt it you know i would doubt it i'm sure We've learned a lot from Intog. I'm sure Crown Estate Scotland has learned a lot from Intog. So I don't think we'll see another round. But but on the Tog side, it has provided a mechanism, to hopefully, to install some floating offshore wind connected into oil and gas. And like I said, maybe before, it's all this sort of first sort of integrated offshore infrastructure, which is great. And it's oil and gas just now, but it could be hydrogen or CCS-powered infrastructure in the future. And that's no mean feat. That's, I think that's brilliant, you know. And I just hope some of these TOG projects work their way through. So I don't think we'll see another specific in-TOG round, but I think what we will need to see is some form of mechanism that allows us to look at other potential, other TOG projects outside the scope of current TOG projects in the current areas. You know, we have operations going on further in the north, in the northern North Sea, west of Shetland. Well, I don't think it'll be a, 
another separate leasing round, I do think there will be or should be a, another form of mechanism that will allow us to install offshore wind at a scale that can support, help uh, decarbonize current oil and gas ops. A whole new market for the wind developers as well, isn't it? You know, rather than just settling to a grid they could export to the oil and gas platforms. I think for the companies that didn't apply for a top leasing round, that's the more attractive option for electrification, isn't it? Someone else builds, develops, maintains the wind farm and they just simply pay for the power. And I, I think a lot of them would find that very attractive. Just kind of going back to the supply chain. Do you think we're going to end up building and maintaining these Intog projects mostly from the UK or do you see being a mix of, of half UK, half foreign companies or, you know, what's, what's your view with that? Just to turn it back around to our supply chain woes. Holy moly, Tess, it's like another big question. So <laughs> I certainly hope so, you know, I certainly hope we'll be able to maximise the content from the UK. So I was very young when this was going on, but uh, through the oil and gas industry in the past, whatever you may think of it. In its heyday, you know, there was a huge amount of innovation, a huge amount of local content in the construction of oil and gas assets offshore and a huge amount of ops and maintenance. So just a really successful story from that viewpoint. Yeah. You know, you should be able to argue, hey, we've done it once, we can, we can do it again offshore. But I suppose the world's changed since then. It's maybe a smaller place and international competition on this will be huge. So... I don't think we're going to be able to transition the supply chain and maximize that content without a lot of coordinated strategic action. But I think we're kind of seeing some of that. I'm hopeful that the uh, strategic investment model piece pushed by SOEC is going to come through. We saw a bit of intel coming out into the public space at the uh, Scottish Renewable Offshore Conference that we should be hearing about next steps there in Q1 this year. So that's uh, great. I'm sure the Greenport initiative is going to bear fruit and fully supportive of consortiums that have come together there. I'm involved in some of the task forces supporting OIC and Renewable UK on the Industrial Growth Plan. And you know, that's another bright kind of strategic step to put in place. So I think when you see these kind of things going on in a coordinated manner, then you're, oh, hey, I'm always like glasses half full. So there's maybe more going on, you know, in this space than, than in other industries to help secure that local content. So, uh, yeah, let's keep working it. Yeah, I mean, we'd obviously do work. We have our supply chain programs, the Fit Offshore Renewables Launch Academy. So we're seeing some great successes with, with companies going through those programs. Not just, you know, new startups, but companies transitioning from oil and gas into renewable sector. Yeah. We'll continue to do that. And there has been some good news in the past year or so with companies building facilities in Scotland, which obviously is great for the industry, but also great for Scottish economy because it brings in jobs. So yeah, hopefully it can grow and, and continue to grow and we'll continue to see the same level of investment from these bodies to keep us going. Just before we finish, shall we do a, a quick plug of our lovely GIP programs that we're currently working on? For those listeners who don't know, uh, we've been running two programs, WinTOG for the TOG projects and the Innovation Network for the IN projects. So we're doing a lot of work on both sides, sort of coordinating the projects and trying to work on challenges. So Graham, do you want to give your overview of, of that to the listeners so we can plug the great work we're doing together? Yeah, I think what we're trying to do is do what we said on the tenor at the start here, step in at a project level to maximise the impact of these innovation projects and their value to industry. So I think it's important that a lot of the project teams that are working away get some form of interface and collaboration going across the different projects. I think they can help each other out. I think there's some technologies, some supply chains, some methods of 
working that we can share as we support them over the next couple of years that, um, yeah, it does what it says in the tin, help yeah. maximise our impact. And if we can do what we can to help bring these in before Scotland, then um, I think that would be a, a great wee story. We're doing likewise on the TOG side under the, the WinTOG programme. It's maybe more a desperate group. We've got one of the larger um, TOG developers on board on it to get up with the smaller islanded projects. But we also have uh, oil and gas asset owner operators in the mix there because the challenges extend onto these assets and the brownfield modifications required to take the power. So again, there's almost niche area specific to TOG projects that we're trying to work through with them from, from the health and safety side to the uh, power management side. Yeah, we'll just continue to keep working with these folks at a project level and uh, yeah, see what we can do. I think as well, you know, it's been great for these projects to get together in a room and, and chat about different challenges and how they're approaching them. And I, you know, well, I hope that they're finding it beneficial because it's that collaborative effort of, you know, we have challenge A and the other companies, well, we've solved it this way and they can learn from each other. And I, I, I think that's been been very beneficial for them. And there's a lot of, of great work coming out of out of the Windhoek and Innovation Network. So I'm very happy to be part of these programmes. So as you say, hopefully we can continue to support the project and looking forward to our next meetings. <laughs> and I think that'll do is where we're coming up on time just now. So Graham, thank you for taking part in this episode of the In Partnership With series of Re-Energize. It's now time to de-energize until next month. In the meantime, listeners can find more about ORE Catapult activities at ore.catapult.org.uk. And don't forget to follow us on your social media channels. We're on LinkedIn, X or Twitter, to those of us who are a bit older, and on Instagram. And for all of those, the handles are at ORE Catapult. And with that, we shall sign off until next month. So Graham, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Tess. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the chat. And I'm sure I'll catch you in the next couple of weeks. Take care.